0: Well, that's a doozy of a gospel reading. <laughs> Linda suggested to Matthew in the sacristy that he should, uh, when he processed the, the gospel book out, should like sneak his right hand into his robe a little bit, and I suggested maybe he should put a little uh, an eye patch over his eye just to give us an object lesson. I'm also having trouble with my mic this morning. I'm going to try to keep this close to my face. We're going to talk about um, some of the weird stuff that Jesus has to say to us in this lesson, but before we get there, I want to talk about Ikea. Who, uh, whom among you likes putting together IKEA furniture? Hands. Oh, yes, we've got a good a good collab. My, my guess was going to be that there were more IKEA furniture people at 8 o'clock than at 10 o'clock, because I feel like the people who put IKEA furniture together are more likely to go to an 8 o'clock service than a 10 o'clock service. <laughs> I was wrong. They were mostly not IKEA furniture people, but you are. I am not, I hate putting together IKEA furniture. It's one of my least favorite things to do. But this morning is like Vindication Day for those of you who are Ikea, like when you get out that manual and it has like 40 pages of instructions and your heart lifts. <laughs> Friends, this is your Sunday. Because my guess is, is, is that there's a, in, in the Venn diagram of overlap between people who like to put together Ikea furniture, and people who are rule followers, there's a lot of overlap there. And this is, this is rule follower vindication Sunday. And I don't, and I don't mean to beat up on the, on the rule followers. Right? I don't mean to castigate y'all. You're, you're the salt of the earth. When I need to put my next bookcase together, I'm going to give one of you a call. Our world needs rule followers, right? People who stop at pedestrian crosswalks when there's nobody in them, who clip their coupons faithfully and know how to line up properly at airports and at movie theaters. God love the rule followers. You all keep society from devolving into an unmitigated mess. And following the rules would seem to be our theme of the day, at least as these texts would have it. How to, how to do that, what it means to walk in God's ways, how to keep the commandments, right? That's the way that the, our opening collect talks about it. How to find happiness in what the psalmist talks about, right? Happy are those who observe God's decrees and seek him with all their heart. This is a good day to be a rule keeper. According to the Bible, the happy ones, the blessed ones, are the ones who faithfully follow the rules. They stray neither to the right or to the left, They're the ones who never go rogue trying to put together an IKEA bookcase, but they faithfully follow every step, right, until the couch or the whatever is complete. According to Jewish tradition, there are 613 mitzvot, that's the Hebrew word for commandment. So there's the classic Ten Commandments that we all know about, right? Not murdering, not stealing, making false idols. But there are several hundred more commandments in the law of Moses. Moses, that regulate everything from ritual worship, what kinds of fabrics you can wear, how to treat your neighbors and how to cut your hair. 200 of those commandments are found in the book of Deuteronomy. That's our, our Old Testament text this morning. Mo- Moses' farewell speech. this is like his, his farewell address to the people as he stands on top of Mount Nebo on the eastern side of the Jordan River. He's looking out across the Dead Sea into the land that has been promised. It's like his, this is like Moses' last-ditch effort to get in a few more commandments before he shuffles off this mortal coil. Right? God, has, God has made it clear to Moses that he himself will not enter into the promised land. He can see it from the top of Mount Nebo. He will not go there. It's going to be up to the next generation of people to lead the people into the land of promise, as long, Moses reminds them, as long as they stay faithful to these commandments, to the rules and regulations that he has set out before them. I think that rule-keeping is actually a kind of a reductive way to think about Moses' last will and testament up there on the holy mountain, right? Because all all of the English words that we use to translate this Hebrew word mitzvot, right? Commandment, statute, decree, ordinance, right? All of that makes it sound like Moses is giving people a rule book, right? That he's giving them the IKEA instruction manual and that's actually how many of us were taught to understand the law of moses right the the commandments of israel god's little instruction manual for how to be a holy people christians have tended to pit the law of Moses, all of these legal codes in the Old Testament, we've tended to pit that against what we call Christ's all-encompassing love. Right? Maybe, you've, maybe you've heard it said Jesus comes to you know, abolish the law and establish a new law of grace in its place. The old bad re- legislation, that's all the bad stuff, but Jesus comes to set us free and live into love or whatever. That's not actually what Jesus ever says about himself. Right, that's not what the earliest followers of Jesus, all of whom were observant Jews, that's not what they believed about statutes and ordinances, these mitzvot that Moses had laid down for them so many centuries earlier. For Jews then and for Jews now, the law of Moses was not really about slavishly following a set of rules, it was a story. It was their story. It was the story of how they became a people. So reducing Torah to like an IKEA instruction manual for building a righteous life, I think robs it of the power that Moses is actually ascribing to it in this text we heard from Deuteronomy. He says, this is not just a book of rules, right? He tells his people, this is the way of life. I am setting before you life and blessing or death and curses. If you choose to follow this way, this is how you build a new community. This is how, he says, this is how you resist the structures of domination and destruction that you're gonna see all around you. This is is actually how you topple the patriarchy how you bring about equity and inclusion. This is how you leave the world of slavery and walk into a new world of freedom. Moses is talking to people who have formerly been enslaved. right? Everything he lays out for them is designed to respond to that reality that they know well. The whole human justice project, as we have come to understand it, it begins actually in these texts, in these mitzvot. This is a story about how you find freedom and blessing. So perhaps you have heard it said that if you don't follow God's decrees and play by God's rule book, you will be liable for hellfire and damnation. Jesus says something kind of like that this morning. He seems to suggest that in this colorful, we think folk imagery that he's using in Matthew's gospel, right? Picking up on some of the popularly held beliefs of, among his listeners about like, you know, the garbage pits outside of Jerusalem and how they smoke all the time and you don't want to go there, right? Right? But Jesus says that following the rules, actually, in a kind of slavish, literal way, has never really been God's agenda. Jesus says, you have heard it said that you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not swear falsely, but just observing the literal level of the decrees misses the point, he says. Rather than than doing away with all of the rules, Jesus actually then intensifies them. He interrogates the deeper intentions that these particular commandments are meant to address. He says, it's not enough to think, you know, I've never killed anybody, I must be doing okay. Jesus says, if you're angry with somebody, if your words cause someone harm, if you use the language of denigration, if you call someone a fool, you are as good as murdering them in God's eyes. That's pretty intense. He says, if you treat another person as a thing... If all you see is an object of lust or desire, if you reduce another person to a tool for your own gratification, you have as good as committed adultery with that person. That's a that's a pretty effective smackdown of the purity culture that I grew up in, right? This idea that it is a it is a woman's responsibility to protect the men in her life by policing her dress code, and Jesus says exactly the opposite of that. Right? He says it is not the object of the gaze who bears responsibility it is the one gazing. You are responsible for what your eyes see. According to Jesus, it's better for you to cut off your arm or cast out your eye than to reduce another member of the human family to an object for your gratification. That's intense stuff. That's about like the deeper commandments, right? The rule at the heart of the rules. And it's hard stuff, this intensification of the law. But I think maybe it's Maybe it's more germane in our day and age than ever before, especially given what we know about the world that Jesus is living in, right? The world in which he's preaching and teaching, this heavily patriarchal, heavily authoritarian society. And in that context, what can sometimes seem like a kind of outmoded uh, approach to gender relationships, Jesus is actually being surprisingly revolutionary when it comes to gender and power. He strikes right to the heart of male authority and privilege in the ancient world, right? This, This power that the men in his society have to take a woman's body by force and then to throw her away with an easy decree of divorce as soon as he's finished with her. And Jesus says, that is not how it will be with you, even if... Your culture gives you that kind of a power over somebody else's body. He says, if you're going to be a friend of God, you renounce that power. You must behave differently. He says, the women among you are members of my body. That means you treat them with dignity and respect over and against what your culture is telling you. There will be no throwaways, right? There will be no castoffs. There are no expendable bodies in the community of God. The Me Too movement didn't come up with this stuff. Right, if we had been paying attention, people of faith have been given tools for how to treat one another justly for centuries. I mean, maybe we just haven't been paying attention to how radical this stuff is once you get underneath the surface of the rule book because what Jesus is saying, what what Moses is saying several thousand years earlier on the top of the mountain, this project is not about slavishly following an instruction manual. It's about finding the blessing at the center of the rule book and then building a new community out of that blessing. So just as Moses did several thousand years ago, I got to climb up to the top of Mount Nebo a couple, couple weeks ago. As many of you know, I was on pilgrimage in Israel and Jordan. Mount Nebo, where Moses is supposed to have delivered this farewell address, it's on the Jordan side of the river, that the biblical texts call beyond the Jordan, right east of the Jordan, a place from which Moses is surveying all the land where he catches this glimpse of the paradise, the, the, the promised land, that he himself will never enter. And from the top of Mount Nebo, you actually do get a pretty incredible sense of what the land looks like. It's about 2,500 feet above sea level. Um, And much of that land, right, is desolate and dry, it's this kind of majestic desert, but lots of it is also lush and green, I mean, at least it was in January, right, the rainy season. And for a moment, as I stood at the top of Mount Nebo and looked out at what Moses is purported to have seen, I felt like I could connect with, like I could almost hear the catch in his throat as he got this vision of the land that lies beyond the horizon, right? Because that land is beautiful. It must have been, I mean, it must have been really hard to look at that that country and know that you would never enter it. I mean, have you you ever had an experience like that? Where you you catch this fleeting glimpse of something, like as if from the top of a high mountain, a glimpse of, of the promise that lies on the other side of the ridge. And maybe you have a sense that like, oh, it's there, I might, Never get there. That's Moses' experience as he stands there at the top of the mountain, right? And I wonder what all he was able to see, not just like the expanse of the countryside. I mean, the, the text say he saw a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of possibility, a land of promise. I think it, that's a way of saying he saw like a way that human beings can live together without resorting to violence and coercion and anger and mistrust. I think he also probably saw the threats that stood in the way of advancing that goal, right? Armies encamped, fortified cities, the violence and destruction that would be as much a part of this story of the land as the promise of life was, as this blessing that he lays out for his people. Moses also sees the people, right? So he's looking out over this landscape, but then he turns around and he sees his people gathered around him, right? Longing to do right by their God. And Moses knows they are gonna mess that up pretty mightily. We all all will. It's like he sees all of us, the whole, the whole human project, the beautiful promises at the heart of the, the code he's laying out for them, as well as the, the dangers and the distractions, the damage and destruction that these very commandments have caused some human beings when they're enforced in kind of coercive and controlling ways, right? These, these commandments can be just as easily misused as they can effectively used. And I think Moses sees all of that. I think he sees not just the ancient people of Israel who were standing there, but all people, like the whole human family. I think you and I are part of Moses' vision on Mount Nebo. He sees our faces, our stories, our struggles, our doubts. And he knows he's not gonna make it into the Promised Land. But before he gives up the ghost, he catches this glimpse of it, a glimpse of the way things could be if we could actually put into practice this way of living. He sees the land out before him, and it's more than a land. He sees that observing the commandments of God is not about slavishly ticking off behavior points. It's about finding a way into the promised land. It's more like climbing to the top of a mountain and looking around you because you can see everything, the pain, the joy, the beauty, and the the despair. And for for this moment, you catch a glimpse of the way the Earth could be if we were willing to dig under the surface of 613 rules for good behavior and start treating one another in the way God lays out for us. Not just avoiding the prohibitions, murder and theft and cheating, but interrogating what motivates us to treat one another in those ways, right? Getting in touch with the murderer and the thief and the adulterer who lie within every one of us and then learning to train our behavior along some very different pathways. I think keeping the commandments is less about following the steps in an IKEA assembly manual, and more like catching a glimpse of the promised land. Last week, Matthew quoted Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous mountaintop sermon, right the one that, that Martin Luther King preached from a pulpit, actually not unlike this one, looking out over his people, just actually as I am today, seeing all of you. And King, King references this story from Deuteronomy, right? Moses on the mountain, looking out and seeing the promised land. Dr. King said, I don't know what will happen now. This is a few nights before he will be assassinated. He says, we've got some difficult days ahead of us. That doesn't matter to me now, he says, because I've been to the mountaintop. I've been to the mountaintop, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, he says. I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy, he says, I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything, I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. You have heard it said that religion is like the opiate of the masses, right? It's a way of controlling people, keeping them in line with rules and regulations and ordinances and laws. Religion is good at that. But I tell you, the way of Moses, the way of Jesus, the way of the saints of, of old, it's not just about following rules. It's about keep catching a glimpse of this promised land that lies beyond the horizon and then finding the path that is going to take us there. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you know, we are God's servants. We are working together in the harvest fields of the Lord. We are God's field. We are God's building. We're a community of blessing. And we are asked actually to embody this different way of being with one another. I think we're actually asked to be the promised land. We're asked to be the land that flows with the milk of kindness and the honey of equity and justice. And we, we catch glimpses of that country if we're looking for them. Right? We're not, we're not fully there yet. It's a long journey to get into that land. Maybe, actually, none of us will be blessed to see it. I think that is entirely possible. We will not see this in our lifetime. But like Moses, we catch a glimpse of the project we're on, and we start moving in that direction. And so, I don't know about you, but I'm happy this morning. I'm not worried about anything. I fear no one. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord because I've been to the mountaintop. And the view from that mountain is its, it's incredible. It will take your breath away. That view is enough to keep me going if you'll walk with me.